Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Chokhmah and Coffee Live. Now, maybe you're just joining us. And you're like, what in the world is Chokhmah? It's the Hebrew word for wisdom, and so it's our goal on this podcast every Friday morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Pacific time, to give out some Chokhmah from the Word of God, because... I mean, that's where all the wisdom is found. And so we're glad you're here. It's good to see uh, Miss Crystal Estramado here with us. It's excited for that. Uh, excited to, to see what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to bring on uh, Jonah here because he's here with us as well on our Hochma and coffee. Jonah, how are you this morning? Doing good. How are you doing? Oh, doing good. I'm good. ready for today, man. I'm excited. Mm. So this morning, we're covering Hebrews chapter 5, and you're not going to want to miss out on that. And then also, let me see here, we got a comment here. Is the KJV Study Bible better than the Open Bible? I haven't seen the review yet. So the review is not out yet. I'm actually still going through it. I have the Bible right right here. And so we're going to be doing a review on this, and Lord willing, next week. But there's a lot to cover as I'm studying through this, and then I've got to film it and make sure that it's it covers all the things I wanted to cover. Uh, but I, I guess I, since you're here live, I'll give you the spoiler. It's not better than the open Bible, okay? And so, but that's in my opinion. That's for my personal use, and we'll talk more about why in the review. But thanks for asking that. Uh, now, today, I do have a couple. We have our little ad break right now, and so I'm going to jump over to uh, the... The screen here, if you want to jump in and download the free background, that is there for you guys. It's a gift from us to you. We're thankful for you guys. I've got it on my phone, and I'm even working on other designs that we'll be pushing out. Maybe maybe we'll think about doing one a month or one every quarter. I don't know. It just depends on how much time I have. But this is for you right now. You can get the first edition of the free coffee background, Hochmann coffee background there. But we also have this mug that just came out, and oh, I'm so excited. Mine came in, and I don't know if the camera will focus if my face isn't in there. There it is. Just came in, and so I know a few of you have got yours as well. And so now we've got this cool mug club, the cool mug club. And so if you haven't got yours, feel free to pick yours up. The link is in the description below. And everything that goes on there helps us continue the podcast as this is not a free endeavor, the software costs and all that. And we're thankful for those of you who continue to support us. I mean, seriously, this would not be possible without many of you who support us continually. And we just want to say a huge thank you, a huge thank you for that. And so with all of those sponsored things out of the way, we're going to jump into the text, okay? We're going to jump into the Word of God. And here we are in Hebrews 5. And so this is kind of the format this morning is going to take. I'm going to read through this passage, just all of it. We're going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse number 14. And then Jonah and I are going to chat through this, uh, the, through different observations that we find from the text. We're going to explain, hopefully, why we're saying the thing we're saying. And, and again, since we're in one of the most difficult books in the New Testament, I, I think there's probably three really difficult books in the New Testament. Romans, Hebrews, and Revelation. Those are probably the three most difficult books in the New Testament, and we're covering one of them. And so we just want to give the disclaimer that we are still studying and still growing in this text. And so 
do your own study. We encourage you to be Bereans. Like if we don't get it and we don't have it right, double check everything we say. Please, like we check with your pastor. We are not your pastor unless you go to Grants Pass Baptist Church. Okay, then <laughs> yeah, then you can check with me again. But the truth is, right here, we just want to help you study the way we study, kind of see behind the scenes of what we're thinking. And so I'm going to read this, and then we'll start chatting about it. It says here in chapter 5, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet, this is, this is interesting, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. Strong meat. Uh, for every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Oh, man, there's so much goodness in chapter 5. I am excited for it. What about you, Jonah? What do you think? Uh-oh, I, I don't hear you anymore. Are you muted? How about that? Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, sorry, I might be muting, unmuting. I'll try to stay on top of it, but... I think I'm coming down with something, so I don't want to keep sniffling into the mic. So, and that's why to... you're 45 minutes away. Right? You're keeping, <laughs> yeah. keeping yourself over there. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but I'm excited. Uh, the more and more I read it, obviously, the clearer and clearer it seems to be getting. And so, um, oh, even so just good. as we read it one more time, just right now, I'm like, oh, okay, it's starting to all come together a little bit better. Can we? Can I articulate that? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, but it's in my mind, it's getting clearer and clearer. <laughs> right, right. Now, now I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to the audience for a second. If you see me looking this way, I'm actually looking at Jonah. So don't think I'm ignoring him when I'm looking down. And then when <laughs> I look up here, I'm like addressing you guys, okay? Because I'm looking at him right now on the screen. Uh, but I also want to say, if you are wondering what study Bible this is, this is an olive tree. This is the CWSB, which is super cool. I'm able to highlight. I'm able to tap on words and bring up definitions. You should check it out. But if you're like, I can't afford that, uh, there is another one that. 
I like to use, which is actually called um, uh, eSword. And here you can see it, the cool layout. This is uh, only a couple dollars, and you can get all of this for that. And so right here you have uh, the Matthew Henry's commentary. You've got the Hebrew and the Greek down there. And so if you're wanting a, an app that's less expensive, that you can still do deep, intense study, I used this app in college and wrote papers using the resources here. And so that's there for you as well. There is even for those who like free, because as a college student, I don't know if I can't remember when I got eSword. That's my my cup of tea. I love eSword, but even free, but still has a lot of goodness in it is the Blue Letter Bible. It's a website yeah. and it's an app. You can still go to the Greek lexicons or the Strong's Concordance or Thayer's Greek lexicon. Uh, there's a, There are commentaries there as well. So if you say, I don't even want to pay for eSword. There's a, there's a free option. It's not as good, I don't think, as some of these other options, but it is a very great free resource. It really is. It really is. So those are there. We just want to put those out there for you if you're wanting something to, to help you in your study. Now, we're jumping in here. Let's just start talking, um, especially let's catch you up to speed on the culture. So we remember we're diving into a book that wasn't written in 2022, and that means we have to to go back in time mentally and get into their mindset. This is the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. Some think the Apostle Paul. We're not getting in the argument today, but there's we don't know who wrote it. But we know it was written to Hebrew Christians, Christians who would have been basically excommunicated from their family, from their faith uh, there because they chose to trust in Jesus as their Savior and as the Messiah and as the Son of God. And so there's a lot of reasons why their family would have disowned them. I've even read that their families would hold an actual funeral for them saying, you're dead to us. We don't want to see you at family gatherings. We don't want to talk to you. You're not going to be supported by us. And so they would have always had this thought, well, why, why don't I go back to Judaism? And so the author of Hebrews is writing this to show them Jesus is better. Jesus is better than what you had in Judaism, so don't go back. And we've seen that time and time again. He's better than Moses. He's better than this and that. And now, or better than angels in chapter 1. Here, we're trying to see that he's a better high priest. Because think about it. In their minds, they see the temple, and they're not allowed in there. And, you know, many of them have been excommunicated from temple worship. And so they're thinking, man... There's a high priest in there, and he is the mediator between me and God. Like, how can I get in touch with God without my high priest who's going to sacrifice for the sins that I've committed? And, you know, that, that would be a huge pressure on them. And so we jump in here, and he begins talking about the high priesthood. And he talks in verse number one, saying, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Is there anything that in verse one, I know you might want to take verses one through three, but is there anything in verse one that just you want to start jumping into, uh, Brother Jonah? Um, I think uh, you, we, I think, oh man, sorry. I probably have some fog brain going on early in the morning and uh, starting to come down with something. But you covered a lot of good stuff already about what a high priest does. They, the high priest was the mediator between uh, God and the people. And it was his duty when the people brought these sacrifices and gifts as we're going to, uh, oh, it's even in verse one. Yeah, the yeah. gifts and sacrifices for sins. Uh, he was the one that brought them to God on their behalf. And so the people could not offer their own offerings, but had to be brought to the priest that he alone could present to God. So uh, we can already obviously hear and see how 
this penman and the author is going from the high priest in the Old Testament that the Jews were yeah. very familiar with, how it's relating to this new mediator, Jesus Christ, of what he uh, he became the high priest. And so, and I, as you were talking about, man, it's a scary thing for these Jews to have this new high priest. You could only imagine, I mean, we're all used to our form of religion, our Christianity. And if we all of a sudden said, no, this isn't how we're doing it anymore, there's this. Yeah. If we chose to abandon it, like we would oh, almost yeah. feel like, am I, it, it's, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to abandon what I'm used to. No, that's um, a good, that's a good analogy. And I love that that brings it into our own emotions and feelings that we can jump into their hearts. Like this is yeah. scary. Like since Moses, this has been the way. So for thousands of years, this has been what my dad did and what my grandpa did. They went to the temple and they had the priest do this. And now I, I don't get to go in there. Are you sure Jesus is better? Because I'm looking at this temple right here. I can see it with my eyes. That looks better. I mean, look at all of these things. Look at the rich history we have. How can you tell me Jesus is better? And so he continues talking about the high priest in verse 2. He says, who can have compassion? And I love this. You know, in 2022, uh, somebody might feel like they have to tear down their the others. But he doesn't. Like, he doesn't tear them down. He says, no, they have compassion on the ignorant. So the person who doesn't know basically what's right and wrong. The high priest has compassion on the ignorant. And not only on the ignorant, on them that are out of the way. So on sinners who are just doing the wrong thing. Uh, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And I love this verse. And, and it has a special place in my heart because I'm a pastor. And a lot of times uh, people think, that pastors don't really get what they're going through or their spiritual struggles or their sinful struggles. And the beautiful thing about pastors is we are humans. And now I want to be very clear. We are not high priests. Please don't take that away from what I'm saying here. There's only one high priest and there's only one mediator. That's Jesus. You get to go directly to him. But a lot of times people disassociate and they say that pastors can't get what we're going through. Or they, or if I told them what I'm struggling with, they're going to hate me or they're going to judge me. It's like, no. The thing is, the high priest could have compassion because he was a human and he says was compassed with infirmity too. And your pastor, I'm going to tell you, if you are struggling with something, please go to him. Please. He's not somebody who's going to judge you, who's going to hate you because of it. He's a human too, meaning he has compassion on you because he also is going through his own struggles and his own things. And so I love that kind of parallel here. And it says that he also offered sins, offered these sacrifices for his own sins. What are some things you see in these couple verses? Yeah, I think uh, you hit a lot of it. I mean, he, and, and I think I'm almost wanting to jump the gun, but... We can already see another reason why Jesus is better yeah. because you just read it. Now, the high priest had to offer sacrifices and offerings even for his own sins. And this new high priest, he didn't, which is yeah. an incredible thing. And so that is why, though, um, I'm, I'm getting a whole lot of similarities from the chapter that we read previously at the end of chapter four last week. It says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Yeah. And so uh, we see so many similarities uh, throughout these verses about the high priest in the Old Testament and Jesus Christ as the great high priest 
uh, even he himself, he didn't sin. He didn't, he wasn't, uh, compassed with that infirmity, but he was uh, like, we talked about, we don't need to rehash it, but he lived what we live. He, he experienced what we experience, uh, all the human, uh, characteristics that we, we face day to day. So a lot of similarities in these verses. No, I like that. And, and so I think we've done a good job. No, oh, that sounds terrible. It sounds like, oh, we've done a good job. That's not what I'm saying. But we, we've covered at least these first three verses and shown you basically the role of the high priest as much as he wants to go into it here. I think he guys dives even deeper later on. Um, but right now, what he's covered here, we've covered. And he, le- he goes into another thought process. So I, I like to think one through three is the role. You know, it's the role of the high priest. But we get into verses four and five, and he talks about the office of the priest, that you can't take it to yourself. He says in verse four, and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So, now this is really the first time he brings Christ into it to show the contrast. So Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, thou art my son, Today have I begotten thee, as saith also, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now I'm going to let you jump into this one first, and then I'll come in second. So what do you think about these verses? Yeah, so we can obviously we we need to understand that how did someone become a high priest? It was not how uh, even people become pastors today. God Himself had to appoint the tribe and the family out of which the high priest was to be taken. And that was uh, the tribe of Levi and more specifically of the line of Aaron. And so they were allowed to be the high priest. So God chose uh, these high priests. Uh, It couldn't just be anyone. And so I believe that's very important to realize because as we see here, Christ, uh, not Christ, God chose this high priest as well, just as he chose the high priest uh, in the old covenant. He says, I'm appointing Christ. Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but it was God. But he that said unto him, thou art my son, they have begotten thee. And so God appointed Christ to be the high priest. And so that's why we don't need any more high priests because this is an eternal high priest. We don't need any more humans because Christ is, there's no need for a successor uh, with this high priest. So God alone could provide and appoint a high priest for the whole human race. And he said, that's my son. Yeah. And so I like this. The, the biggest takeaway is that a high priest couldn't appoint themselves. They couldn't, there was no way a high priest could just say, I thank you vote for me. You know, it's not like the president. It's not like a government official. They weren't allowed to, to vote who was going to be high priest. It was, you had to be from the line of Aaron. And so that's, that's where we get this similarity here uh, in the text. It says that they can't take the honor to themselves, but it was called of God. And the same thing is true of Jesus. And so what he's doing with these Hebrew Christians is he's allaying their fears. He's like, Jesus didn't make himself high priest, okay? And so, so this isn't just us hyping him up or him hyping him out, himself up. No, God made him a high priest. And you'll remember in Psalm 110 when he talks about that the Messiah is going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, you might be thinking, okay, okay, let's dive into Melchizedek. What's going on there? Friends, I apologize, but we're going to put a pin in Melchizedek until chapter 7 because he, he really dives into that here. But he says he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he jumps right into to verses 7 and 8 
and 9. And these verses are so rich, and these are really um, some some of the deepest ones in this chapter that you may struggle with, and I want us to wrestle with those together. He says in verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, was heard, and that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And then he again says, called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so we're going to hit here for a second. I love this passage. I mean, it's just, I mean, if you didn't feel like you could identify with Jesus after our last talk about how how he, he's tempted in all points, yet without sin. If you couldn't feel like you connected to him, man, this I just feel like this connects us to Jesus even more. That in the days of his flesh, and, and I have this word highlighted because up here we see the high priest offered, offered, offered. And this is what you should do too when you're reading through your Bible. Mark reoccurring words. But here we see Jesus also offered something. He offered prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And so I want to pause there for a second. Now, Jonah, yesterday you are talking about, this is probably many instances, but there was one instance in your mind that really stuck out. Do you want to start diving into this right here? Yeah, so the, as I was reading the ver- for the very first time, I, the first thought that came to my mind when I said, who in the days of his flesh, or when the Bible said this, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears, I don't know if this is coming to anyone else's minds as I just read those few words, but I thought of the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened uh, right before he was betrayed by Judas? He was praying with strong crying and tears, uh, asking God, may this cup pass from me. Uh, Obviously, he says, not my will, but thine be done, though. Um, So I believe it, it has a strong allusion to that. But as I read and I study, I do believe it's, it's talking about his entire life as well. Mm. And so uh, during the time of his incarnation, this is, I'm going to read uh, someone I, I read the other day, during which he took all the infirmities of human nature upon him and was afflicted in his body and the human soul, just as other men are, irregular and sinful passions accepted though. Yeah. And so he, he had all these things, and I believe that also ties in with the learning and I'll, I'll let you cover the learning <laughs> because <laughs> that's some fun stuff. I think I have an understanding. I just don't know if I can express it uh, the right way. Yeah. Uh, but I do believe that's 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 the first thought I came that came to my mind when it talked about the strong crying and tears and praying of supplications. But I do think he's offering up prayers as well for the human race. Yeah. Um, and well, well we about- see many times he's praying. Many times throughout his life, he's praying. Yeah. And so, obviously, the Garden of Gethsemane, I think, really comes into our mind here for, for, for certain reasons. But there are many times he's praying. I mean, one of his most famous prayers is John 17, where he, he prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and he even prays for us, which is huge. That's a, that's a massive thing. But I also agree that it seems like this is, is honing in on the Garden of Gethsemane because he's praying with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. 
So I think that that phrase, able to save him from death, mm-hmm. really makes us feel, yeah, this is this feels like he's talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. Even though the this, the author never specifically says that, it feels that way. And so you might be looking at this and say, and he was heard? Like, wait a sec. If you if you just upload the Garden of Gethsemane, you might think, I don't think I think that he wasn't heard because he was saying, Let it pass from me, but not my will, but thine. And we know he drank the cup. So so how was he heard? And that he feared, and that word feared is another thing. Oh my goodness. That it's like he was human. Like that's just like there was this I don't want to do this. It wasn't like, you know, in our minds sometimes we can whitewash the Garden of Gethsemane and he's kinda like, Oh, please don't let this happen. But not as I will, but thine. He, he never really struggled with it. No, like this was an intense wrestling. And it says he was heard. And this is my theory, you could take it or leave it. You know, he was delivered from death. And, and that's a beautiful thing. He had to die and he drank the entire cup, but he rose again. He was delivered. He was heard. And the beautiful thing is that leads us. If we take it that way, he was heard and that he feared through resurrection to verse number eight, though he were us. Oh, I guess that takes us to verse nine. We'll get to verse nine in a second. But verse eight says, though he were a son yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. We're going to talk about learned obedience in just a second, but I see someone commented. Isaiah here said, uh, it is crazy that it says Jesus learned obedience in the garden. Jesus was already obedient, but was this his greatest trial? Even greater than the temptations of the devil. Really good question. And I, and I, I don't know if I have a perfect answer for it, just to be upfront. Was this his greatest trial? When, it, when we look at Again, if, if this is referring specifically to the Garden of Eden, or Garden of Eden, definitely not the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane or not, uh, we can't be 100% sure. But was it his greatest temptation? I don't know, but it seems like that would be the case. It seems like that would be the case. Or they dovetailed in the fact that Satan set up all of these thoughts in his mind. So when the Garden of Gethsemane, these are coming back to Jesus like, hey, you know, you don't have to go through with this. You can have the kingdoms without the without the cross. You can have all this. And so that all the temptations kind of fuse together in that moment. I don't have a professional opinion on the matter. That's just what I, I think about it. Don't look like you were going to say something. Oh, no. I, that, okay. That's a tough question. And I would say... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good question. Thank you for asking. But let's talk about learning obedience because this is one that I know hit me and probably hits many of you. What does it mean that that the Son of God learned? I mean, isn't he omniscient? Doesn't he know everything? And so let's talk about what this isn't. This isn't a, a, a mental learning. This isn't him learning something knowledge-based. He knows everything. But what I believe this is saying is that he was experiencing something new. He was learning something by experience. And and as the sinless son of God, before he was uh, born a a human, he never had to be in human submission and in human obedience. And so this is something new. And so this is not just talking about the Garden of Gethsemane. This is his life. He learned obedience to Mary, to, to government, to the Torah, to those things. He learned obedience by the things which 
he suffered, which he endured throughout his entire life. He learned obedience. So this is that experiential learning of human obedience. He learned those, and he never once sinned. And so I I don't want to go any deeper on that. We could spend probably the rest of the day. If you have something you want to add to that, we can, or we could jump Um, on to the next verse. What are you thinking? I would just encourage people to remember Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and and stature and in favor with God and man. So as a man, he did grow in wisdom and he grew physically and he grew socially and all that. And so keep that in mind. Um, And also keep in mind Philippians chapter 2. It uses some of the same wording, not exact, but I'll just read Philippians 2.8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. And so if you, we can just compare scripture with scripture, you can see, yes, God, can, Jesus can learn. Um, I Again, I'm not going to go in, in, into incredible depth because, man, it's, it's kind of difficult. Man, how can God, how can the all-knowing one learn? All I know is Jesus grew in wisdom. How can Jesus grow in wisdom? Well, he was human just like us. And then also the, the term obedient. Um, I don't oh, believe he was ever you disobedient. Opened. Another can of worms. What's going on here? We're not going to cover in depth all of the human learning that he did uh, because that's another conversation. And if we need to have it, we will. But he did learn as a human, but as as God, he didn't. And so that has to do with, I think, Philippians 2, that that Mm -hmm. limiting his use of his divine prerogatives, which... I know it's beyond the scope of this conversation, but I did like how you use Philippians 2 and that he humbled himself and became obedient and that that's not him being disobedient and then becoming obedient. No, it's showing that he became obedient in this regard, in this regard to death, which he never had to be obedient to that before. And so if you have questions on that, feel free to to drop those in the comments and we will do our best to answer those. Uh, But hopefully we've done a little bit to clear it up. Maybe we've added a little more question in there with other texts, Uh, but hopefully this section, you understand a little bit about him learning obedience. Doesn't mean that he, as God, had to apprehend more mental knowledge. As God, he didn't have to. This is that experiential learning of obedience from the human standpoint. He learned the human obedience. So he identifies with you in that way. And he learned it by the things which he suffered. And I love this. And being made perfect. Another question that you might be like, wait, whoa, I thought Jesus was perfect. How does this work? The word perfect is complete. Jesus wasn't a complete savior. And and, and please give me grace until I finish my statement. Don't just like, ah, heresy, I can't believe this. He wasn't a complete savior until he had obeyed unto the death of the cross and his resurrection. Because without his death, without his resurrection, he couldn't rescue people. He couldn't. He had to be made perfect by the things which he suffered. It looks like you're about to say something. Even, you can, I think it's pretty clear you can say he wasn't a complete savior because even if he died, he's still not a complete savior. You say, what? Even Paul said that Yeah. Uh, if Christ didn't raise or rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Christ wasn't a savior if he just died. Any man can die. And so if he didn't die, first of all, he can't be a savior. But also if he didn't rise from the dead, he can't be a complete savior. So that's what it's being. That's what it's saying. And we got to be clear because in our in our English minds, we think perfect as morally upright. He was 100 percent morally upright. This text has shown that time and time again, yet without sin, yet without sin. So this isn't about his moral uprightness, his sinlessness. No, he wasn't made 
and to become sinless, he was sinless. This is that completion of who he was as our high priest and as our savior. And it says, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them, to all them that obey him. So here we see that we're not making this up, okay? This is referring to him being a perfect savior. He became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. And then he says again, called a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And I love, I love Paul here, or I, I can't say Paul, sorry. The author of Hebrews here, because uh, he just begins to preach. It's like, it's like, guys, he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then in verses 11 through, I think, even into chapter 6, which we'll cover in our next talk, he just begins to preach at these guys. Look at what he says. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskilled. Skillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even who, and I think this is key, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so this is the beginning of a, a, a very intriguing passage. But right here, he begins telling them, guys, I want to tell you even more things about Melchizedek. I want to go even deeper into this. But you are dull of hearing. Like, you don't understand these things because, and this is the key, because you should already be teachers. You should already have these things handled in your mind, but you need milk again. Like, you keep needing milk. And I'll tell you this, as believers, there is a time when we need milk. I believe that's clear. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about someone just got saved and they're like, what's happening? And they need the milk of the word. He's not talking about that. He's talking about those who we don't have the time frame, but maybe six months, a year, two years, they have been believers. And yet they're still infants and they're still babies and they're needing the same thing again and again and again and again and again. And you gave a really good illustration yesterday. We were just chatting about kind of what we're talking, what we're thinking about the text and as a teacher and kind of what we're talking about here. We'll go even more in depth on this in chapter six, but he's, he's talking about these people who they need milk again and they need milk again. And what were you talking about with your students? Yeah. So as a math teacher, uh, at the beginning of the year, we might go over some basic things, hopefully not this basic, but just for sake of illustration, uh, I might review how to do addition, how to do subtraction, how to do division and multiplication. Uh, but halfway through the year or as the year is almost through and people are still asking me, hey, I don't understand. Or can you teach again how to how, how can I do five plus five? I'm probably going to say, I can't cover that at this point. If you don't have this now, uh, this is a problem. You should be at a point where you should be able to teach other people how to add 5 plus 5. I mean, we're factoring, factoring polynomials. You're still trying to figure out what 5 <laughs> plus 5 is. And so um, that I think this is what this penman is feeling. Man, we are so past this. I don't know how you're still struggling with this basic foundational knowledge. Yeah. I want to go so much farther. Um, but I can't. I love that because in my mental picture, I'm just seeing these high schoolers, you know, asking kindergarten questions because he's teaching, you know, like pre-calculus and things like that. And I'm just like, could you imagine in a pre-calculus class, someone like, okay, two plus two equals what? 
Like, what's two plus two? I, I, I'm sorry. He's, and, and you could just imagine my brother being like, what are you at? What are you asking? And that's what Paul is going through right here. He's like, guys, you've been saved for a long time now. And you still don't get the basics. Like, I can't go back there right now. And, and, and we'll talk even more in chapter six about this. But I think he really is upset with people who willfully stay immature willfully stay immature and i think uh, this is a problem in america today with christians who literally they've been saved for 10 plus years yet they they can't even sit through a podcast like this to learn deeper things it's like oh as if he's not you know a motivational speaker and really hyping me up and just talking about really really basic things i just can't take it i just can't take it paul would be saying you are a baby I'm, okay i'm this guys this isn't coming from me okay this is coming from paul like Seriously, we have so many Christians in our day and time who don't want to go deeper in the Word. And, and I know if you're watching this, it's not you, because we have been just rambling on about the Word. But seriously, there are people today who they're content not knowing barely anything about the Bible, and they can't teach anybody anything. And I think if you are somebody who, who isn't comfortable sharing your faith with somebody else, this passage is applicable to you. Please, I'm saying this in love, okay? I'm saying this in as much love as I can. That is the first principles. And if you just got saved, I'm not talking about you. Please get that. Please get that. I'm not talking about someone who just got saved yesterday and they're like, what? I don't, how am I going to do this? I'm talking, if you've been saved for a year, two years, five years, 20 years, okay, if you've been saved for, for these this long, even if it's two years, and you're not comfortable telling somebody the basics of Christianity, something is wrong. Like, like that's not my opinion. He says here, for when the time ye ought to be teachers. That means, okay, that means that every single one of you, there comes a time when you ought to be able to teach others. And I'm just talking about the basics. How to get saved. And I know many believers who've been saved for five years, ten years, who, when you ask them, will you talk to this person about Jesus? Like, I don't know. What do I say? What? When the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you the basics again and have need of milk and not strong meat. He, this is Paul. He's just, he's really irritated. Or not Paul. I can't say Paul. Whoever wrote this, the author is pretty irritated with these people. And you'll see in chapter six, he continues on this rant. But friend, I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're like, well, that might be me, you know, I'm, I've been saved for 10 years and I really need someone to show me the basics again. Okay, let someone show you the basics again and make it a point. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to get it down. I'm going to start using it. I'm going to start teaching others this so that it really gets into my mind so I can build from here and I can grow from here. Please don't be a willfully immature person. Willfully immature is the worst. Everyone at one point is immature in the faith, because that's just the normal process. But those who choose to stay in the wilderness, choose to stay immature, it's frustrating, it's frustrating, it's frustrating. Do you have anything to say? I'm, I'm ready to keep on preaching, but I'm, I'm <laughs> turning it over to you before I, I get, come on, let's move forward. What do, what do you think? No, I think uh, you said uh, just about all that needs to be said from this passage. When you were saying even young Christians, you're not necessarily talking to them. And I totally understand uh, as a new Christian, new believer. But the first thing that came into my mind, one of the greatest soul winners found in the New Testament 
was the woman at the well. Yeah. Yeah. She met Christ. The moment she got saved and realized she was the Messiah, what did she do? She dropped her water pot. She went back to the city and all of the men of the city came back with her. Yeah. And they said, we be- many of them believed her report, but when they talked to Jesus, yeah, I didn't believe her, but now that I hear him, I believe oh, man. who he is. And so even if you are a new believer, do your best. Share what Christ has done for you, and God can do amazing things through just your testimony. And I, I think Christians don't use their testimony enough. And I was telling my church a couple of days ago, um, there's three things. If you want to be able to share your faith, you know, who were you before Jesus? Talk about that. Tell, explain this to somebody. What did you struggle with? What was your pains? What were you feeling? What was the guilt? What, how did somebody lead you to Jesus? Like, what happened? What did you do? Did they tell you about believing on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for your sins? Talk about that. And then what is, what's your life like after Jesus? Like, mm-hmm. if you just have those three things, you can share your faith. You don't have to know all the answers to the questions. And I think that's another reason people don't engage. It's like, well, what if they ask me this? What if they ask me that? You might not have the answer. I don't have all the answers. You just do those three things and you're, you're starting your teaching journey and starting your sharing journey. And so thanks for adding to that. I'm telling you guys, the author here, he's not done ripping into these people. And we'll talk about that next week because it gets even deeper. But I think we have covered chapter five. And if you have questions, you can always reach out to us. I know that my email is addison at everythingchurchpro.com. You can always email me your questions, and I'll do my best to respond to every email. I, I probably am not, not perfect there, but I do my best to respond to every email, and so you can do that. But I, I think that the ending is this. Jesus is our high priest, and we should grasp that, especially them, Hebrew Christians, who are very well acquainted with high priesthood and Jesus and those things. He's like, you guys should get this by now. I shouldn't have to go over this again. I want to go deeper. I want to teach you deeper things. And he does in chapter seven, I think, resume this thought process and like, all right, those who are babes, you're not going to get this. But those who want meat, we're diving in. We're diving in. And so I'd encourage you to be with us next Friday at 6 a.m. as we continue in chapter six. But I'm looking through here. Not as many questions today. Uh, Thank you guys for being with us here on the live stream. Is there any other thing you want to say before we wrap this up, Jonah? I would just encourage anyone watching, just read through Hebrews chapter six. I don't know how far we'll get through six or whatever. Read it yourself, study it out. And then you, it's almost like, uh, almost a group Bible study. I know we can't hear you, but you have the comment section here and you can always comment down. And so if you're studying it out throughout the week, as we study, and then we talk, it it can be a good conversation uh, amongst believers. So I encourage you don't just come here. I mean, it's, I, I hope and pray that you guys are being fed by the word, but eat throughout the week, even this, these difficult pass- passages. And I think it can become even that much richer uh, for all of us. I agree. I agree. Thank you for adding that. I love that. And so study it this week as we study it this week and we'll chat about it together live next Friday. Oh, it might, I might have to amend that. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on the next Friday. It might have to be a little earlier in the week. I'll talk to Jonah about that, and then we'll push it out to you. Uh, but I'm excited. Thank you guys for being here. If you haven't already subscribed, make sure you hit that subscribe button. I, I feel like it's weird doing this live. Hit that subscribe <laughs> button, and uh, yeah, just do it. And so we'll uh, see you guys next week sometime. I'll keep you posted in the emails. But thank you guys for being with us, and we'll talk to you all next week.